Welcome to the podcast of First Baptist Church of Robbinsville. Thank you for joining us. We trust that the teaching of God's Word will speak to you. Morning, church family. It is a joy to be together with you. I, uh, I love getting to, last week I had a chance to go speak at Emmanuel Baptist Church out in Kinston, and that was a wonderful time. Uh, but very much, I'm always thankful for the chance to be back here worshiping with you all. So uh, the church down there sends greetings your direction, and they, uh, just as a quick report, very excited to see what God is doing in the church family down there. So that's been one of our prayers throughout this last year, and so we're very thankful that God continues to give us opportunity to encourage that church in their pursuit of uh, reaching that area of North Carolina with the gospel as well. So uh, if you have your Bibles, I invite you to open up to James chapter 3 today. It's where we will be. Uh, just as I was hearing us sing, it really was exciting thinking about this re- reality that the Bible says that all of creation is revealing the majesty of who God is, that all of creation is full of His glory. I think sometimes we forget that when we are sitting here and we are singing, using our voices to sing and magnify the Lord, it's not just something we as a church are doing, it's something we are joining in with all of creation in the praise of who God is. So that's an amazing thing that our voices have the ability to join in with creation to praise the Lord. So uh, in light of kind of our topic of today, that was very exciting for me to think about. So James chapter 3, if you've opened your Bibles there. Um, So we, as you know, the book of James is dealing with this issue of how do we have a whole or mature faith? It's one thing to have faith for our eternal salvation, but for that faith to remain very immature and very self-focused. But James isn't talking about how do we just get people to have that kind of faith. He's saying, how do we get the church to develop a mature, complete faith? One that doesn't just impact me personally, but impacts the world around me, because that faith, as we learned last week, as faith is growing and maturing, it begins to work itself out in the way that we live our lives. So James is seeking that kind of a faith, not a faith that says we have to have works in order to be saved, but a a faith that says, as my faith is growing and becoming more real in my life, it expresses itself through the ways that I live. So that was a very important discussion that we had in James chapter 2 last week of this, this intermingling of faith and works. Very important thing that we get that right. So I encourage you, if, you're, uh, if you maybe missed last week, it's a very a good sermon to go back and listen to, to, to get this, this concept clear in our minds that God does want us to have a faith that works, but that's always coming from a faith that is growing and being matured. And so James is after that idea. So it's fascinating now as we go into James chapter 3. He just had this large discussion about, I want your faith to be so mature that it acts itself out in your life. And you kind of wonder, what's the next thing he's going to talk about? What would be an example that he may give us of a way that our faith could work itself out? And what he goes to is the topic of our tongues. The topic of communication. Now, throughout today, I want to use the word communication more than the word tongue because, you know, when you think back to first century when James was writing this, most of the communication was done orally. Right? And so James is primarily saying, be careful with the words that come out of your mouth. And that's part of it. But as we think about our world today, communication is now much more broad than that. Perhaps the majority of our communication for some of us is is a different form of communication. 
We think about how often we write things in our communication, how often we post things online as a form of our communication, how often we do say things with our words as a part of our communication. But our communication is much more broad than simply the words that we say. But of all the areas that he could go to to say, hey, I want you to understand what a vibrant, real, growing, mature faith looks like, he says, let's think about the tongue for a minute. And so this morning, we're going to look at all 18 verses of James chapter 3. Fear not. A lot of James chapter 3, he's going to give us pictures or illustrations to make a very simple point, okay? So even though this is a lot of verses, it's really just a few simple points we're going to look at, but James is kind of engaging this picture of our mind to help us grasp more of what he's saying. So I invite you to stand with me for the reading of God's holy, inerrant, inspired, and infallible word as we start out James. And while we're standing, we're just going to start out with this one verse, James chapter 3, verse 2. The Bible says this to us, for we all stumble in many things. But if anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. Father, as we slow down from the busyness of life and we come to your word this morning, I pray that you would help us to stop and to realize and understand that these are your words spoken for your church. That these are words, and this is a message that was written thousands of years ago, but this is a message that you desire for us to hear today. Lord, maybe more than any other point in history, we, we see and we feel and we experience the tremendous impact that our communication has on ourselves, on one another, and on our world. But I pray today that as we listen to your word, I pray, God, that we would, we would first look at our own lives and heart and see what you're saying to us, and we wouldn't just look to the others in our life who need to hear this message. Father, may you reveal to us how our faith can grow so that our communication can be more honoring to you. Pray that you would protect my mouth as I speak these words, even this morning. In your name we pray, amen. This is a comforting way that he starts this idea. We all stumble in many things. Now remember, James is including himself on this. The very half-brother of Jesus, he says, listen, we all stumble in a whole lot of ways. We all fail in a lot of ways. I don't think it's very hard for us to reflect back on our last day. We could probably rattle off a number of ways that we failed. And then he says this really surprising thing. But if anyone does not stumble in word, if anyone comes to the end of the day and says, there's not one thing I wish I didn't say, there's not one thing I wish I said differently, I said everything I needed to say, I just completely was blameless in my tongue today. He says, no, you're missing something. You maybe forgot an interaction. You forgot something. Because the, the, the idea here is none of us, we all stumble in many ways. But he says there is one way in particular that is, it's almost like the cherry on top of our stumbling. And it's our tongue. It's our words. It's our communication. He says, if, if you were able to bridle your tongue, you would be able to bridle your whole body. If someone actually had control of their tongue, he says, he says, if you were mature in your faith, if there was no double-mindedness in your tongue, your whole life would be one that's categorized by maturity or completeness. 
So James has used this idea of perfect man multiple times, and he's not saying perfect in the sense of flawless. He's saying perfect in the sense of whole or complete or mature or fulfilled. He says, if you want to understand what a mature, fulfilled faith looks like, watch and listen to how we communicate. He says, maybe more than anything else, the ways that we communicate reveal the reality of where our faith really stands. Very strong kind of convicting reality right there in those words. And so today we're going to think about this idea. James doesn't want us to be double-minded. He wants us to have a mature faith. And so what would a double-minded communication look like? Well, double-minded communication is very divisive. it, It brings curse on people. It brings destruction wherever it goes. But when we look at a mature, complete, whole faith that's growing... What does that communication produce? It produces blessing and unity and joy and delight. So this is what he's trying to get us to understand in our communication. But what's really important, when we spend a whole chapter talking about this idea of controlling our tongue, the really hard thing for us to remember is that ultimately this is not a message about controlling our tongue. It's a message about what's going on in our heart. So this is a very easy message to hear. Control your tongue. Be mature by controlling your tongue. Don't hurt others with your tongue. Don't do this with your tongue. And we leave with this disciplined desire to this week be wise with our tongue. James is using this as an illustration of a mature faith. So do we want to be men and women who have a controlled tongue? Absolutely. But you don't get a controlled tongue by trying to control your tongue. You get a controlled tongue as our faith is becoming more mature, more whole, more complete, and I'm walking more in submission to the wisdom of God in my life, all of a sudden my communication begins to change. So yes, there's an element of we want to be disciplined in the words that we say. We want to be careful in how we communicate, but ultimately this is not a message about do better this week at controlling the things that you say. This is an example or an illustration for us to understand. So now let's go on and start looking at this idea of what does James want us to know about our communication. So verse 3 through 5, he starts out with an illustration. He gives us a picture when it comes to our communication. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us. And we turn their whole body. Look also at ships. Although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so... The tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. So here we see two illustrations that James gets us. He wants us to understand this point. We think of our tongue and our communication as a very small part of who we are. But when he compares it to these two pictures right here, it kind of helps us to expand our thinking. You know, horses can be very intimidating for people. I worked at a, a horse farm one summer, and, and these, some of these horses were like ex-racehorse stallions, you know. So they had a whole lot of like, I'm the man type of mentality. These are big animals, right? I know some of you are horse people. You get that, right? Well, you know, I, I could get in there and, and act. I'd really, I knew horses are going to feed off my energy. So I'm trying to go in there calmly, bravely. I'm fine. Those suckers terrify me, if I'm being honest with you. you I mean, I'm putting myself in this little... 10 by 10 little pin with them and hoping they don't just smash me to death, right? But there was something so different. Once I finally slipped that bit into their mouth, everything felt different. 
Because I knew as crazy as this horse might get, I can control this animal to some degree because this little piece of metal in his mouth bugs him so much that he'll actually listen to my desires. Up until he had that in his mouth, he didn't care about me. He didn't care where I wanted him to go. He didn't understand my words, but when I put the bit in his mouth, he began to be turned by such a small thing. This large thousand pound animal turned by this little device that only weighs a few ounces. Fascinating the power of something so small. Then we think of a ship. And not only a large ship, but a ship that is being driven by the winds. And yet even as the wind is pushing that ship in one direction, all the pilot has to do is just turn that rudder a little bit. And all of a sudden, the entire trajectory of that ship is changing. When you think about proportionally the size of a rudder in comparison to the ship, it's a very small thing. And yet some of you who have boats, you've recognized if there's a problem with your rudder, you're in real trouble. The boat can look good, it's still in good shape, but if that small part has a problem, all of a sudden you have no control. He says, this is a lot like what the tongue is like. Proportionally, a very small part of our body. And yet it has the ability to, do, to steer our lives in very profound ways. So what's the principle he wants us to see from this? I think it's something along this idea. That our communication steers our lives. Now let me kind of flesh that out because that was something I wrestled with a lot. Is this really a right thing to say? Is this the right way to phrase this? Let me, let me help you understand what I think what he's trying to communicate by this. So let's go back and think, okay, if I have a double-minded faith... And I communicate in a way that's double-minded. So I communicate in a way that's very destructive. Let's say I I communicate in a way that just destroys people around me. So let's say I see one of you and I come up and I'm just harsh with you. I just, I I, I speak evil to you. I I, I speak in just a very ugly, nasty way to you. Well, what happens with my life next time I see you? All of a sudden I see you and I kind of steer away from you. I kind of steer away from the places that I know you're going to be because because I used my tongue with you in such a way that now I know there's tension in that relationship and I don't really want to see you again. But if I have a mature faith and I use my words in a way that build up and encourage and bless other people, think about how differently that steers my life. All of a sudden, I see somebody struggling, and I think, you know what, that person could really use a word of encouragement today. All of a sudden, I steer my life over to that person so that I can interact with them and try to offer them a message of encouragement. Well, if I'm double-minded, you know, another thing that I'm easy to do with my words, if I'm double-minded, I'm really easy to make flippant commitments or to make very quick promises. Have you ever found yourself in that position? Somebody asks you, hey, do you want to do, do this thing with us next week? And you're like, yeah, sure, that'd be great. Then you actually start to think, you know what, I, I've actually got a really busy day that day. That was probably not really wise of me to commit to that in such a quick way, but I did commit to that, so I do need to go do that. All of a sudden, your life is kind of being steered toward that thing because the words that you spoke, you understand that should have some weight on how I steer my life. Or maybe we think about you know, the person with, with a mature faith, their promises should mean a whole lot. So a lot of us can look back on our life and there was a day where you stood right here and you held the hands of your spouse. They're probably really sweaty and your knees were shaking. And the pastor said all these things, repeat after me. And you're really nervous and maybe you don't even remember what you said, but you said some very profound things, I assure you. Now those words that we said with our mouth, 
Those words should steer our lives in very significant ways. Those promises we made to another person should steer my life in a way of honoring and and care for that spouse. But if I flippantly make promises or maybe I don't make commitments, I feel very free to just kind of steer wherever I want to with my life. James chapter 1, he said this earlier, it kind of helps us understand this idea. If anyone among you thinks he is religious and he does not bridle his own tongue but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. Do you see another way that our communication steers our lives? Well, this can be a communication we don't even actually say. But this can be a communication that is rolling around in our minds and in our brains. How many of you have ever kind of had those feelings of, I'm not really worthy? I'm not worthy of God's love. I'm not worthy of other people's love. My life's not significant. My life doesn't matter to people. Those may be never words that you actually communicate, but that communication is taking place in your own heart and in your own mind. Think how drastically that communication can steer your life. We understand the the significance of even suicide because of this problem right here. The communication that takes place in our mind can drive us to make decisions that are permanent. So the the words that we say do impact the lives that we live. And sometimes we think about that only from the opposite way. Well, we've had those times in life where maybe maybe you don't really feel grateful for a Christmas gift, but you're like, thanks. You see, even that little act right there does start to kind of drive our mind. Simply saying, speaking words of gratitude starts to help us understand what it means to live a life of gratitude. But if we live a life of complaining and we're constantly upset about what we have or don't have, that's steering our life towards further unsatisfaction with life. So we're being steered by the words we say. They're very important. And now with that in mind, I want to go back to verse 1. Maybe some of you are familiar with James 3. You thought I was skipping that verse, and maybe a little bit of me wanted to. James 3, verse 1 says this, My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. Now, that seems like a very weird verse to put right there. But I wanted to give you the context before talking about that. Why is it that a teacher would be somebody who receives a stricter judgment? What is a teacher doing? As I'm up here using my words to talk to you, what am I trying to do? I'm trying to motivate you, influence you, encourage you. Ultimately, I'm hoping that God's words coming, me speaking about God's words will ultimately influence your life and change the course of your life. That's a powerful thing. So why would a teacher, why is he saying a teacher will receive stricter judgment? Because teachers use more words. Teachers have more influence generally on the lives of other people. So not only do my words have the ability to steer my life, my words have the ability to start to steer the lives of other people. That's a very heavy thing. Now this doesn't mean that we should be so scared to ever say anything to people, but it does mean listen, be careful. Realize the more influence your words have, the more careful you need to be. This is why we take this idea very seriously. 
If somebody feels they want to start teaching or they feel called to preach, we don't just that next week sit, stick them up here and say, give us what the Lord gave you. Why? Because we love that person and want to protect them. Because we don't want to put this person in a position where they are not ready to carefully communicate. Now, the reality is every week we come up here, there, there's this element of fear in, what, in, in this process. Because I understand that I'm a sinful, broken man and can say some very dumb things up here if I'm not careful. Every week coming off of here, that's the first thing I pray. Lord, if I said something wrong and it was not of your character that didn't reflect who you are, please help them not to hear that. Because we understand the ability and capacity our words have to steer lives. So maybe you hear that and be like, well, that definitely affirms I should never teach. But I want to encourage you, you are a teacher. In some way, every one of us in this room is a teacher or an influencer with our words. Maybe you're a quiet, shy person, but your communication is influencing the lives of others. Your communication is steering the lives of those around you. Maybe it's a very small way because you're a quiet individual. Maybe you speak to thousands and it's a large thing. Both of us need to be very careful because our communication matters. So he goes on to give us another point to help us understand the significance of our communication. Verse 5 and verse 6. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. And the tongue is a fire. A world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature and is set on fire by hell. That's a big verse when you slow down to think about that. Let's back up here just a little bit. And again, he's making this point. Something so catastrophically impactful starts with something so small. Right, just this last week, there was a motorcycle driving over the tail of the dragon, and that motorcycle crashed, and what happened? When that motorcycle crashed, it, 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 there was a spark. There was some way that something got ignited, and all of a sudden, over 100 acres of forest was burned. How did that 100 acres burn? Where did it start from? It started from one small spark, one small ignition that had the ability to grow and to grow, and all of a sudden, it's out of control. And 100 acres have now been steered, guided, directed, changed forever because of this small thing. And so James now, he's going to go on, and I want us to, I want us to understand this picture here. And so he's, he's starting out on the big level, and he's going to work down to the small level, okay? So he's starting out saying, hey, look at the forest fire, and he's going to gradually bring us back to help us identify the spark, okay? So he starts out with, what's the big fire, the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. You know what that means? That says your tongue, your communication has this entire evil world at its disposal. I can create an entire broken, disgusting, sin-filled world with my tongue. That's a big deal. But then he goes on. So, so what is this? I, have, I see this big problem, this big, this big, this huge area that's affected by my communication, but then he backs up. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature. So this idea, it's like the tongue, before the tongue des destroys this whole area, first it destroys a smaller area. First it destroys our members. First it destroys myself. You see this, how this is growing? 
He says, see the big problem of communication? And then look, look at the smaller thing that it's doing. How, do, how does communication get to be such a big problem? Because when I speak something to you and now you speak something to her and she speaks something to him, all of a sudden this thing that was kind of contained is now out of control. It spreads. How did that start? Where did that world of iniquity that's within my mouth begin? That last phrase, it's set on fire by hell. Do you see how scary that is? When I use my communication in a destructive way, James is saying that communication that destroys finds its very source in hell. Our enemy who seeks to desire to to destroy and to kill lives, he recognizes this is the greatest tool that I have. If I can get people to use their communication in a way that's divisive and destroys one another, that is a tremendous tool at my disposal. If I just ignite that a little bit within somebody, that can explode and destroy an entire community. Do we understand the weight of our communication when we speak evil of someone else? When we choose to spread the gossip that is not ours to share, where is that coming from? That is coming from the enemy himself. And we are allowing the enemy to use us in a way that is incredibly destructive. That's a scary picture to think about. Now, we're going to come back to this idea here in in just a minute. So keep this idea in mind. Where is the source of this evil communication found? We're going to look at that again. But let's go on to the next example that he gives us. Another problem with our communication. Not only does our communication have great power, our communication also can reveal a double-mindedness within us. So listen to this problem about communication. Verse 9, with our communication, with our tongue, with it... We bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Thus no spring yields both salt water and fresh. Do you see the picture he's painting here? Have we, could we maybe think about our life and recognize or identify a time that our communication was double-minded? He stopped to think about this. What happens when we come in here and we sing songs? What are we doing when we are singing? Ultimately, it's this right here. We are blessing God with our words. The God of the universe who doesn't need anything from us, when he hears us singing from hearts that are pure and true, and we are genuinely worshiping him, he looks there and he says, that is a blessing to me. Can you imagine that? Our words have the ability to bless God. But at the same time, we can use that same communication and to curse or cut down one whom Christ loves so much, whom God loves so much that he sent his son to die for that person. One who is made in the very image of God, we don't feel bad to destroy and cut down that individual while also using that same communication to bless God through the words that we sing. Do you see the double-mindedness of this? I'm sure none of us would ever be guilty of coming to church and praising God with our words and then getting in the car and talking bad about somebody we just interacted with, right? We would never do such things. James says that that's possible. Can you, can you even believe that? Of course, we've all done this. 
We all have done this, and sometimes it is so fast. As soon as we quit singing that song, we are right off to this. As soon as we stop proclaiming the goodness of God, we are right on to destroying someone's character by the words that we say. As we look at what James is painting this picture here to understand, do you see how serious communication is? Do you understand the, the atomic bomb that we are all walking around with in our mouths and on our fingers as we are little keyboard warriors? So now, tucked right in the middle of this passage is maybe something that's the most discouraging part of all. Are you ready? Verse 7 and 8. What do we do about such a problem? For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. No man, none of us, not a single one of us can tame and can control our tongue. Now, if we stop here, that's a pretty discouraging day. Understand how destructive your communication will be, and you can't do anything to fix it. God bless y'all. That is a scary thing, but James is doing this on purpose. He wants us to feel the weight of this problem. This is a problem that will destroy the world. It's a problem you can do nothing about. So what hope do we have? We have the hope of the gospel. The gospel changes this reality. On our own, there is nothing we can do to tame our tongue, but we are not on our own. We have a Savior who has died for the sin of the world. We have a Savior who has defeated our broken, sinful nature. And he says, that tongue that you could never, you could never tame, I will put my spirit within you, and as you learn to submit yourself to him, that untamable tongue will be tamed. That's why we need to keep reading in James chapter 3. Verse 13, he goes on to ask this question. Who is wise and understanding among you? It's almost like he stops and says, hey, everybody, eyes please. Who is wise out there? Hands, show of hands. Right? Anybody, right? That, that's a, that, that would be a little awkward, right? He's saying, look, I'm asking you that question seriously. Who is wise among you? But he says, don't raise your hand to tell me. Instead, let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. I don't need you to tell me how wise you are. Instead, I need you to show the wisdom that you have as you meekly live it out. As you meekly live a life of godly wisdom being fleshed out, I can see with my eyes that you're a wise individual. Now, interesting, what, what good conduct, he generally says, let him show by good conduct. Well, what's a good conduct that we've just spent the last 12 verses talking about? Our communication. You understand how this all fits together? Our communication is demonstrating the amount of wisdom that we have. If I'm living with the wisdom of the world, my communication makes that very clear as I talk in double-minded ways and destroy people everywhere I go. But if I am growing in a meek understanding of godly wisdom, and his wisdom is becoming more the, the force that drives my life, that's going to be shown in the way I communicate to other people. So now, in these next verses, he's going he's gonna, to he's gonna go back and he's going to say, let me show you what ignites both forms of communication. Let me show you what ignites uncontrolled communication. Let me show you what ignites godly controlled communication. First, verses 14 through 16. What is the source of uncontrolled communication? What ignites this evil communication we've been speaking about? 
If you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, and demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. What is bitter envy? It's resentment towards someone else for what they have that I want. It's this jealousy that has grown to this point of bitterness. What's self-seeking? It's the desire to promote myself above you. I want to build myself up, and if I have to destroy you in the process, so be it. Where does this evil communication come from? It comes from our hearts. It comes from a heart that is controlled by this sinful nature that is all self-centered. He says, don't boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not come from our Father above. Remember what James said earlier, every good gift is from above. Interesting that this gift does not come from above. Therefore, what do we know about this gift? It is not a good one. Instead, where does it come from? It is earthly. It's sensual. It's not a spiritual wisdom. This is a wisdom that's only about what I'm experiencing and feeling and getting out of this. And ultimately, it's demonic. Again, he's he's emphasizing this is the reality of where this comes from. The very sinful, broken nature of our enemy being at work within us. This is possible for us as believers. It is possible to get in such a self-deluded state that this is the wisdom that we live by every day. Even though we have access to godly wisdom and it's shouting out to live by godly wisdom, we can live by the self-centered wisdom of this world. It's not what James wants for us, and so he goes on. But let me tell you the source of godly wisdom. Let me tell you why, even though you can't tame your tongue, let me tell you how your tongue can become tame. But the wisdom that is from above, again, the good gift, is first pure, peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Do you understand the heart that he's communicating? When this is the heart, what comes out are controlled words that are mature words that build up and unite See, this wisdom is pure. There's no selfishness to it. It's peaceable. It's not looking for a fight. It's gentle. Do you know it actually matters how I communicate, not only what I communicate? I can communicate something that you need to hear, but do it in a way that is not gentle, and all of a sudden that is not sourced from God because God is kind in the way that he communicates. This wisdom is willing to yield. I don't have to have the last word. Think how different that is than the arguments we get into online. I'm going to have the last word. All of a sudden, you just lost an hour of your life messaging back and forth with some person. You have no idea who they are, but you made the last comment. Therefore, you have won. God's God's wisdom is willing to yield. I'm not getting in this fight. It is full of mercy. It doesn't lash out and give others what they deserve. It gives them grace when they, when, even though they don't deserve it. Good fruits without partiality. Remember the beginning of chapter 2? Godly wisdom doesn't show partiality in how it communicates. And ultimately it's without hypocrisy. So yes, we want to be a church that controls our tongues. But before we can ever worry about the tongue, it comes back to this right here. What wisdom is controlling our life? Are we allowing our lives to be controlled by godly wisdom, or are we allowing our self-centered, sinful, impulsive natures 
control us. Now, as we wrap up, I want us to read verse 18 together. Now, the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. That's kind of a funny verse, but it's profound. You know, as a church, our aim is to make disciples who love and live like Jesus. You you could kind of take that and say, that's the fruit of righteousness. What are we aiming at as a church? We are aiming to see the fruit of righteousness in people's lives. We are aiming to see people who are living and loving like Jesus. That's the fruit of righteousness. How do we get somebody to that point? Where, Where does that grow and take place? It's sown in peace by those who make peace. How do we help make disciples who love and live like Jesus? It's when we communicate in a way that builds and brings peace. When we communicate from our double-minded natures and we are destroying and dividing and cutting down and all of a sudden standing there, why is nobody growing in the faith? Why aren't we seeing the fruit of righteousness in people's lives? Are we creating a culture or an atmosphere where that fruit can grow? Or are we communicating and creating this place of growth that is not conducive to righteousness being produced? Are we communicating in a way that is harsh and divisive and angry and bitter? If we are, we have, we're not laying that foundation. We're making disciples who love and live like Jesus is going to happen. As a church, this is a really important idea. The way that we communicate to ourselves, to one another, and to this community is, is helping this community understand the culture of this church. We want the community to understand this is a place where you can come and you will receive truth and you will also receive grace. We want you to grow and mature in your faith and we understand the way that happens is when we produce this environment of peace. When you are in a place of peace and you are being exposed to truth, the fruit of righteousness is the normal thing to grow. So may this be a church where we are controlled in our tongue, where we are careful in our speech so that we don't destroy, but we, we use our tongues and we put our words to work to build up one another. And as we grow to understand more of God's wisdom and how to let that live itself out in our lives, this can be our reality. Maybe you have never heard someone speak to you in this kind way. You can be the first to make that change in your family. So may we be a church that encourages one another in this pursuit. May we be a church who is careful in the communication and the words that we choose to say. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this important reminder. I pray now, God, for those whose hearts are hurting because of the way that communication has been used against them. Lord, we're not downplaying that reality. We know the pain of words. We know that words can steer our lives and and maybe things that people have said to us have, have, have drastically changed the course of that our lives have taken. Father, I pray for that one today. I pray that they would hear your heart being communicated to them. And that whatever hurtful thing has been said to them, God, may that begin to be, be pulled out of their minds and may they become more fully just in, 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 enthralled with your truth and what you say is real about them. Father, I ask that you would help to bring healing to those that we have hurt with our words. 
Maybe, God, there's people that we need to use our words to go and ask forgiveness. I pray that you would give us the courage to do that and to make relationships right. God, help us to be slow to speak. Help us to be careful in our communication. May our communication reflect who you are and your heart in the way that you say things. Father, help us to see the beauty of a life lived in submission to your wisdom. May you continue to transform our desires and transform our hearts so that godly communication will be the thing that comes out of our mouth. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us. We hope that you were encouraged by the teaching of God's Word. If you have questions or would like more information about our church, you can find us at www.robbinsvillefbc.org or call the office at 828-479-3423. God bless you and have a great day.